Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 909 and 910. And today we come to one of the most important, uh, really one of the most important events in, in the book of Acts and really in, in all of church history. This is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit during Pentecost. See, this is the event the, the disciples have been waiting for. In our last two sermons, we were waiting while they were waiting in this upper room. This is what they were waiting for. Now, Pentecost, this was a Jewish feast. This was also known as the, the Feast of Weeks and, uh, or, the, or the Feast of First Fruits. And this is described in the book of Numbers, in the book of Exodus, and the um, book of Deuteronomy. But it was called Pentecost because Penta, which means 50, it was celebrated 50 days after the first Sunday after Passover. 50 days after the first Sunday after Passover. Well, this Passover, what was the first Sunday after Passover? It was the resurrection. So Pentecost actually is 50 days after the resurrection. And we know how long the disciples were in the upper room, 10 days, because Jesus ascended 40 days after his resurrection, and Pentecost happened 50 days. So it was 10 days. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, for Christians, when we use this word Pentecost, we are referring to this event in Acts. We're not referring to the Feast of Weeks. We're not looking at the, at the Old Testament usage of it. We're looking at the New Testament. That's how I'm going to use it in this sermon. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They're filled with new wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is an amazing event as we hear about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit is with each of us. Each of us who belong to you, we have the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in us at this very moment. Lord, that I pray for your Holy Spirit to be with me, that I will speak your words. I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to be with each one of us, that we will hear from you, we will understand, and that we will be changed from this sermon. And Lord, that you will show us how we are to act differently, what we are to do differently, because of this encounter that we had this morning with your word. Lord, we pray, above all, that you are glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned just earlier in the children's message, have you ever really gave thought of the purpose of the gifts we receive? Right? We just think that they're given to us for our enjoyment. But we have specific gifts that we receive because people know us. They know our hobbies. They know our likes. They know the things we do. And they give us gifts to, to match those needs. Like I said, a theology book would not do much good for the kids. But for a pastor, it would be a good gift to give. 
Well, our passage today is about a gift. It's about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of this gift of the Holy Spirit. And the question we're considering today, what is the purpose for that? What is the purpose of this gift? What is the purpose of Pentecost? And I think it's easy for us to get confused with Pentecost because a lot of times we naturally are drawn, maybe because of just some of the controversies in our day, we're naturally drawn to this speaking in tongues. You know, we want to know what does this mean? Uh, What was it? Does it continue today? What does it look like? And I think this focusing on tongues actually misses the point. The purpose of Pentecost is not about the tongues, and the purpose is not hidden. It's not a mystery. Actually, Jesus explicitly tells us what the purpose of Pentecost is. He tells us himself in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you look, just look over to that. This is really the theme verse of Acts, and could be even the theme verse of the Christian life. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the power received by the disciples coming from the Holy Spirit, it is for this purpose. It is for the purpose of enabling them to fulfill this mission they were given. And that mission that they were given at Pentecost is to be a witness for Christ. It is to enable them to be faithful witnesses for Christ. And you know what? It's the same mission given to us. Same mission. We have the same Holy Spirit and we have the same mission. We are to be witnesses to Christ. And as we look at the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we seek to discern how how these events empower the church to accomplish this task, what I want to do is I want us to focus on how the Holy Spirit is is described in this passage. Now this description that we have, this this is a literal description. These are things that actually happened but there's symbolic meaning behind these real events that are, that, are, that are reported in this text. And what we're going to do is we're going to dig into the symbolism and we're going to extract in these, these universal principles and look how we can apply those principles to us today as we are called to go out of our mission, to be witnesses for Christ in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, and to the ends of our earth. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So how is the Holy Spirit described in this passage. What symbols do we see? Well, there's two symbols that we see in here. The first symbol, first symbol is a symbol of wind, and the second symbol that we see here is fire. Verse 2, we read, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then in verse 3, it says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So we have wind, we have fire. So what's the significance? What's the significance of these two symbols? Well, let's start looking at the, sim, sim, uh, the symbol of wind. The first thing that, that we note about this, and, and, and we, we, we'll kind of miss this in English, but if for the original audience, they would have picked up on this immediately. Because in Hebrew and in Greek, the same word that is spirit is the same word as wind. Same word is breath. So there, there's a connection on the linguistic level between the wind and the Holy Spirit coming and the breath of God. And so the original audience would have seen this. They would have seen this connection between the the wind and breath and and, and spirit in these biblical languages. So let's look at how this imagery of wind or breath or spirit, how this is used throughout Scripture. And and, and it's it's used often in Scripture, but I just selected two, and that's what our our Old Testament gospel readings were today. So in our Old Testament Testament reading, from the the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2, we see this. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, 
And the Spirit of God, in Hebrew this year, is the word ruach. And it could mean spirit, or it could mean breath. So this could be the breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, when we read this in our modern day, when, when I, even when I think of it, I think of the Holy Spirit as a dove. We hear that in Scripture. The Holy Spirit as a dove leaned, uh, landed on Jesus at his baptism. So we kind of think of this dove kind of flying over, hovering over the, uh, the pre-creation void here. But another way of thinking of it is that the Holy Spirit is the very breath of God coming out. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the creative, divine breath of God that moves over creation as a, as a mighty, life-giving wind spoken out by God and bringing forth the creation. And don't we see that? The creation comes by the spoken word of God. God said, let there be light. His breath came out and formed light. He formed everything that he spoken by his very breath. We also see this concept in, in, in Genesis 2-7, where God creates man out of the dust of the ground. 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we see again that the, the breath of God, the, the Spirit of God, is imparting life to this lifeless dust of the ground to create man. On the physical level, we see that he creates, he creates the, the earth, he creates the trees, and he creates the life of man. And then God takes the, this, this lifeless dust and he, he breathes in the life to create the human race. But we also see this not only on the physical level, but we also see this on the spiritual level. And this, the Spirit of God is not just giving physical life, but the Spirit of God is giving new life, is giving spiritual life. And that's what we saw in our gospel reading in John chapter 3. So what Nathan just read for us. In John chapter 3, we see the Jewish leader Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he says to him, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So Nicodemus recognized by the signs that Jesus was doing that God was with him. Jesus, Nicodemus recognizes this. But how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Does he say, yeah, you're right. Good job, Nicodemus. No, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this completely baffles Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, you know, how can I be born again? How can I go into my mother's womb now that I'm grown up? And Jesus explains to him, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. He says, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. And he says, the wind, same Greek word, pneuma, as spirit, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. Again, like we heard at Pentecost, the sound of the rushing wind. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So putting, putting all this together, what we see here is just like the, the breath of God, just like the, the Spirit of God imparted physical life to the dust, that we were physically lifeless, and then this, this same rushing wind, this same Spirit gave us spiritual life, gave us new life to those who are spiritually lifeless. And this is the significance, I think, of the symbol of the rushing wind that we see in Pentecost. And this is how it empowers our mission, the mission that we see in Acts 1.8 to be Jesus' witness. And this is really going to blow your mind. So just listen to this. This same Spirit of God, this same breath of God that spoke the creation into existence, that imparted physical life to Adam, through the breath of God, this same breath is given to us to impart spiritual life to others. He who indwells in us, this, this Holy Spirit, imparts spiritual life through our breath 
As we speak, we are, we are witnesses to, to, to Jesus' work. That witness is the Holy Spirit is coming through our breath. I mean, just think about this for a second. As we speak about Jesus, how he has impacted us, how he's, how he's changed our lives, when we proclaim the message of the gospel, it's not just words coming out of our mouths. The Holy Spirit is actually coming out with these words. You can think of the, the, the Holy Spirit. He uses the means of our words. Our words are, are the, the vehicle that, that, that imparts spiritual life to those to whom we're witnessing. I mean, just do you recognize the power? Do you recognize the privilege that we were given? Do you recognize the importance of this mission? The Holy Spirit is active in our witnessing. It cannot fail. So this is the first symbol. This is the symbol of the wind. Let's now look at the second symbol, the symbol of fire. So fire in Scripture, it has many different meanings. But in the Old Testament, chiefly we see fire symbolizing the presence of God. We see this in the burning bush. Moses talking in the burning bush with God. It's in fire. We see this in the, the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites through the wilderness at night. That was representing God. We see this in Genesis 15 in the smoking fire pot that Abraham sees in his vision that represented the presence of God. Now it's also significant not just that, that fire is seen at Pentecost, but it's tongues of fire. And these tongues of fire come out of heaven and then are resting on each of the disciples. And what this emphasizes is the fact that God's presence is giving for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is the purpose of speaking. It is the purpose of witnessing. God's spirit is giving to them so that they can speak God's word. And this understanding, I think, is confirmed by the immediate manifestation of this gift. How is it manifested? The apostles speak, the disciples speak in unknown languages. But the main purpose of this gift giving at Pentecost is not the miraculous speaking in tongues and unknown languages, but rather it is the gift of this, that, that, that he gives to us this divine assistance, not infallible, but divine assistance in our verbal witness for Christ. Basically, the Holy Spirit enables us to witness for Christ. You were so in, we're so intimidated by it. But the Holy Spirit himself is giving us the words, the words to speak, to enable our witness. Fire also is a, is a good illustration here for what this divinely assisted speech accomplishes. So think about fire. The first thing that fire accomplishes, fire provides light. Think about it. This was a time before electricity, before lights. If it was dark, the only way you could see is you, you lit a candle, you lit a lamp, you stood by a fire. Well, as Christians, our witness, enabled by the Holy Spirit, provides illumination. First, it provides illumination to us from the scriptures. We, we cannot understand that. That's why I pray before I preach, a prayer of illumination. Because this will make no sense to anyone unless the Holy Spirit takes these words and illuminates them, illuminates the text. So first and foremost, it's for us. But then it's an illumination to others. Our words provide spiritual illumination. When, when a Holy Spirit... A Holy Spirit, in many respects, or I should say, when, when the, uh, we, we are with an unbeliever, when we come to an unbeliever, in many respects, the unbeliever is in the dark. An unbeliever cannot see spiritual reality because, because they're, they're blind to it. But the light of our witness, the light of our witness opens their eyes, provides that spiritual light for them to see spiritual reality. We, you ever wonder why unbelievers act so foolishly? Just in the prayers that, that, that Ephesh was praying for, for, our, for our area, we see such destructive behavior because they are blind. I mean, think if, if, if we took all the lights off and you were trying to walk around here and someone had night 
vision goggles who was watching, and you're bumping into things, and they're saying, what's wrong with these people? Are they drunk? No, they're blind. They cannot see. That's what we, we, don't, we don't hate unbelievers. We know they're blind. We try to shed the light. And that's what the fire provides. It provides light, spiritual light. See, one of the first things that, that attracted me to Christianity, long before I was converted, that's one of the benefits of, of also coming to, to Christ later in life, is you remember things before you were converted. Before I was converted, Christianity seemed to, to, to shed light on what seemed like a senseless universe. And I remember I would listen to Christian radio, and Christian radio made sense to me, particularly R.C. Sproul. I hear R.C. Sproul, and I said, that makes sense. He would, he would take things that I was seeing in the world, and he would put a reason for them, and, and using Scripture to understand and explain. And what I'm seeing is the Holy Spirit is providing light to my, my shedding light in, in my pre-Christian life, in, in this darkness, and that light was attracting me. But there's also, that's not the only thing. Fire also provides warmth. And see, I mean, think about, you, know, you sit by, you light a fire on a winter's day, and the warmth warms you up. Well, our witness should convey this warmth. It should convey the peace. It should convey the, the pleasantness of, of our fellowship with God. See, the unbeliever may not fully understand. It may not even recognize it, but the unbeliever should see something in a Christian and say, I want that. I don't understand it. I want that. And the thing you're seeing is the warmth of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure you've noticed that. You've, you've seen Christian, or before you were Christian, and you said, there's something about that person. I don't know what it is, but I want that. I mean, again, I, I remember 30 years ago now, before I was a believer, and I noticed something different in certain people. I noticed there were certain people that had a peace about them, had a joy about them, that they were not like everyone else. And I didn't understand what it was, but it attracted me. And I wanted to know more. And this was the warmth of their witness. Fire has two other aspects that I believe are also relevant to our, our witness. And this, this next aspect, actually, I was discussing this passage with Lynn earlier this week, and she gave me this, this idea, and I think, it, I think it's perfect. She said, fire spreads, right? Fire spreads. I mean, think of forest fires, how it gets out of control. And, and this is the effect of a Holy Spirit-empowered witness. It spreads like wildfire. And in a sense, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for, for our Holy Spirit like wildfire to spread throughout Albany, to spread throughout southwest Georgia, to spread throughout the world. That's what we want to see. And we actually see this in the next sections of Acts. We see the effect of, of Peter's Holy Spirit-empowered uh, preaching. 3,000 people were converted at one time. I and mean, that's amazing, 3,000. That's a big number in itself. But even more mind-boggling when you think that's a 25-fold increase number of Christians. There were only about 120 that were in the, that upper room. And now there were 3,000 from one sermon. It's kind of like me preaching now. This, this sermon I'm preaching now. And then this evening, 1,200 people come back. Can you imagine that? 1,200 people come. Nathan, you've got a strong voice. You have to be able to preach to those 1,200 people. That's the type of, that's the type of increase we see. That's a t- Holy Spirit wildfire. And that's what we should be praying for. We should be praying for. We shouldn't think, we shouldn't laugh at me. That's, that's, that's impossible. We've seen it throughout church history. And we pray that we see that going further, going, going forward. We see in this, this uh, or I should say, the last aspect of fire that I want to discuss. This is, this is not a positive aspect. And this is one that we, we don't really like to think about much. But, but fire also represents God's judgments. And we see this particularly in, in Jesus' own words as he's describing hell, the flames of hell. That's, the, that's ultimate and final and eternal judgment. We see it in the book of Revelation with the burnings associated with the judgments that, that are in Revelation. And part of, our, 
part of this uh, witness, part of our Holy Spirit and Spirit witness involves a conviction of sin, a, an understanding of the unbeliever when they hear our words that there's judgment. There, there, there's a, a hearing that things are not okay. Things need to change. As I often say, before you can get them saved, you've got to get them lost. You've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. But people don't like getting lost. People do not like hearing about judgment. People do not like hearing that our natural state, apart from Christ, apart from his imputed righteousness, which is given to us by grace alone, received by faith alone, apart from that, we are lost. We justly deserve this punishment. This is our natural state, and natural man hates this message. And the reality, and some of you may have already witnessed, have, have seen this, is that our Holy Spirit-inspired witness may cause intense anger in others. I see that often. Intense anger. And this is the reaction that we see in the book of Acts. Right? Peter, at 3,000 people came at his sermon, but in the very next chapter, two chapters later, Peter and John are beaten and imprisoned for the same witness. Stephen is stoned to death for this witness. John's brother James, the first martyr, killed for this witness. So these are reactions that we say. Now, now this reaction, or I should say there's two reactions to people who, who experience this fire of God's judgment, this conviction of sin. Now, one reaction, and this is the one we pray for, is repentance. We, we see that the person sees the danger they're in, and, and, and this danger gets their attention. It's, it's like, it's like a, a, a kick in the pants to wake them up, to see that, they, that they're going down the wrong way. And then they get this, and then they, they cry out to the Lord. They, they repent, and they come, and they seek his mercy. And this experience is painful, but, but it's the only way. It's the only way that brings life. And that's what we pray, that's what we hope. But there's another reaction that also happens. And this is a reaction of hardening. This is a reaction of mocking. It's not taking the judgment seriously. And we see this reaction, this very passage that we see in verse 13. See, some people were amazed when they, when they heard them speaking in tongues. And they said, what is this? And others mock, oh, they're just drunk. They're mocking. And we still experience, we experience those people. Now, we certainly don't want to see this reaction. We don't, want it, we don't want people to be hardened by our witness, but the sober reality is they will. They will. If, if you witness about Christ, you are going to reach people who are going to be hardened. You're going to be people who hate you. No matter how loving you try to be, no matter how winsome you try to be, there will always be people who just refuse to accept the fact that we are alienated from God and we are without hope save in his sovereign mercy that's offered only through the gospel of grace. See, people want multiple ways. I, w- I was just talking to a person on Facebook who like, there has to be multiple ways. So, so, so think you went to a doctor. And the doctor said, I got bad news and good news. The bad news is you got this terminal illness and it'll kill you. But the good news is we have a cure. We have a pill. You just take this, this pill and you'll be okay. You'll be able to live a, a normal life. Are you going to argue with the doctor say, only one pill? Only one pill. Well, can I do something else? No, just one pill. Oh, why? That's not fair. We should have multiple pills. That you're, you're, you're bigoted, you're narrow-minded. You say, only one pill will save my life? One pill, one way. It's Jesus. If we don't take that one pill, we have no other hope. And the people ain't react in anger. And often this anger will be taken out on us. But know that this anger is not directed at us. Ultimately, this, this anger is directed at God. It is directed at his word. And when we experience this reaction, when we encounter these hardened hearts, it's really easy for us to get discouraged. And we say, what did I do wrong? How, how did I exp- explain it wrong? And we should be winsome. We should be loving. We shouldn't be harsh. We should, we should be praying. But there are going to be times people are just going to reject this message. 
And we think we've failed. We think we've dishonored God. But this is not the case. See, God, the truth is God is glorified both in the softening of sinners and in the hardening of sinners. And our witness to those who, who ultimately reject God's gracious offer of mercy, what this does is it takes away an excuse. So when they, when they are sitting before God in judgment, they can't say, I never heard. God says, I sent all these witnesses. I sent these people. You mocked them. You hated them. You didn't listen to them. In this, God is glorified. See, the bottom line of what we see in both these symbols of wind and fire is that the Holy Spirit works through our witness. The Holy Spirit, the third person of, of, of the Trinity, God himself works through our witness. There is a supernatural power that each one of us, when we are witnessing for Christ, when we're talking about what Christ did, it is a supernatural power coming through us. And not that this witness will be easy. No, no. Oftentimes it will be very difficult. It will be very hard. It will be very painful. But this witness will be effective. It will be effective to accomplish God's purpose. And thankfully, most of the time it is the softening, but sometimes it's hardening. But it will accomplish God's purpose. And it's not because of us. It's because of him. The Holy Spirit takes our weak and feeble and, and often sinful efforts and he makes them effectual. And in this, we can take joy. This we can take joy. Whether, whether we are called to be like Jonah and, and reluctantly go and see mass revival, the whole city being converted, or like Noah, preaching 100 years and doesn't see any converts, in this, we can still take joy because God is using our witness for his, his purposes. I want to shift now and look at this speaking in tongues. What do we make of the speaking of tongues? Is this a, is this a one-time event? Does this type of gift continue today? Many of our charismatic brothers and sisters insist that it continues today. Well, I believe what we read here, we've got to even ask, what is it? What, what is this, this tongues? Well, I believe what we read here is a supernatural ability that was granted to the disciples by the Holy Spirit, enabling them to communicate in a language that the speakers did not already know. And I believe that, that the speakers knew what they were saying. It's not like the Holy Spirit completely took over them, and they, they didn't even know what they were saying. It was just gibberish coming out of their mouths, but it was actually a language. No, I, knew, I, I believe they knew what they were saying, but the Holy Spirit took over their voices. So they were saying something, and it was instantaneously trans, translated. It's like they had a, a Google Translate, and it was coming out of their mouths in a different language, an unknown language. So I believe that they were instantaneously translated into this new language. So they were witnessing in their minds. They knew what they were saying in their minds, but it was coming out in this different language. And this language was recognizable by the visitors to Jerusalem. So why was this? What was the purpose of this, the speaking in tongues? What was it really needed? Well, we need to understand that, that the people referenced here in, in verses 5 through 11, they were able to communicate in Jerusalem. See, most people in, in these days, they were multilingual. See, Greek was the, was the universal language, the, the language of, of business and, and commerce. So everyone at least had, they may not have been literate in Greek, but they at least had a basic understanding. They, they could have gotten by. Aramaic was another language that was a local language in the region. So many people would have would spoken that language as well. And notice that when Peter's preaching the sermon that, that converts 3,000 people, there's no mention that this sermon is in tongues. There's no mention that this is translated into different languages. Most likely Peter was, trans, was, was speaking either Greek or Aramaic, and all the people understood his sermon. But the purpose of, of, of the speaking of tongues was, was not so the people, because they didn't understand the, the tongues. They, they didn't understand what, what they were saying if, if they weren't speaking in tongues. The, the, the purpose was different. The speaking in tongues that we see in, in Pentecost, it had, it had two functions. The first function is that it spoke to the hearts of the people. 
the people visiting Jerusalem. Yes, they knew Greek, uh, but it was still a foreign tongue. They could get by, but they couldn't pick up the, the subtle nuances of the, if it was spoken in their own native language. I mean, think about someone you know who has limited knowledge of English. You can have basic conversations with this person, but it's difficult to have the deep, the philosophical, the spiritual conversations. They just lack the mastery of the language to be able to, to communicate these abstract ideas. But when these visitors heard the disciples speaking in their native language, this got their attention. It spoke to them on, on a deeper, on a personal level. It, it, was, it was like removing a barrier of communication and, and, and Christ could speak directly to their souls. Much more direct, much more intimate, much more personal communication. It's kind of like you know, we've all used Zoom, and we all probably have different views of Zoom or, or, or our live stream that's going on right now. There's some maybe watching in live stream, and, and as I'm speaking, you may see me freeze up at some moment, or, or it, it may start, the, the audio may go off, or it might start going, you know, that noise, when, when, when you try to do a Zoom meeting. And it's very frustrating. Can you imagine? You know, you're trying to listen to a sermon, and all of a sudden it freezes up. Or all of a sudden you can't hear the, the audio. Well, that's kind of like the, going through a different language. But then think when you have someone in person, and you can hear, and you can have the, there's, there's that barrier removed. I think that's kind of one way you can think of this, as they're speaking to their, their heart language. So I, speak that that's, I, I, I believe that's kind of what they feel. I believe the disciples were speaking about God and, and speaking about God's word from Scripture in these foreign tongues, and the visitors felt as if God was speaking directly to them. And in reality, he was. He was speaking through the Holy Spirit and these disciples. Now the question is, does this continue today? Well, I'm not sure we can say that it never happens. I'm sure all of you have heard stories of, of maybe missionaries able to communicate in unknown languages, and this may be true. These may be legend. I, I don't really know. But even if this does happen, it's extremely rare. It's not normative. However, I do believe there is a way that we can communicate with people, even while using the same language, a, a way that, that, that tongues, these tongues are applicable to today. It's, it's being able to communicate in a way that they are likely to hear. And we frequently call this contextualization. And it basically means that we witness and, and we present the gospel in a way that these people will understand, a way that makes sense to the people we're speaking. We don't use language that we understand. We use language that they understand. It's kind of like when we do the, the children's message. You know, I, I try to say things in, in a language that they will understand as opposed to what I'm speaking now. They, they probably can't follow all what I'm saying. So this is, this is a modern application of this. And I do believe through prayer and, and the leading of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to witness this way. He, a way that may not be natural to us, but it's more understandable to those to whom we're speaking. And I believe the Holy Spirit then gives, this, gives us this ability to contextualize. And this, I think, is our modern application, the modern equivalent of this aspect of speaking of tongues. And we should always look to try to do this, look for ways that we can communicate to people. and praying for how can I speak their language. So I think this is the first function, the way it functions today. The second function of speaking in tongues that we see in speaking these unknown languages, it was, a, it was a supernatural confirmation of a supernatural message. Supernatural confirmation of a supernatural message. It was kind of like when we read about Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was from God. And how did he recognize he was from God? He said, no one could do the miracles that you do unless he was from God. So I think these miracles are only done by God, and what they do is they authenticate that the person who is speaking is speaking God's message, speaking on behalf of God. 
I think a way of, of thinking, think, think of a passport. Those of you who travel overseas, you have a passport. Well, if you look, especially if you've got a, a, a newer passport, they've got holograms on them, and, and they're very difficult. There's something you would not be able to, to um, it's something you couldn't counterfeit. And the reason is it's something that can only be done by the government. And what this does is it says that you, have, you are a citizen of that government. You have the rights granted to that citizen. And that you can travel as a, as a, as a citizen, in our case, of, of the United States. So you see this, this passport, it gives a verification of who you are because the government is, is, is giving something that only the government can do. So saying in the miracles, something only God can do and, and is say, a verification that it's God's message that is being spoken. But again, does this aspect of the gift occur today? Do you know that as I'm preaching to you that I'm preaching truth because I'm going to go up and do a miracle? I'm going, to, I'm going to make Mary's eyes be healed, or I'm going to make someone's leg longer or something. Is that, is that how I verify it, doing a miracle? No. How we verify it today is we have the Bible. We have the Bible. We, the Bible is what we use to authenticate our messages. We don't have to, we don't have to look at, at miracles. See, before the, before the Bible was, was uh, fully formed, before the, the canon was, 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 fi- was finalized, we needed to know that this, this miracles verified a message was from a true prophet or a false prophet. But we don't need that today. When I preach today, first thing I ask you to do is open your Bibles. You have your Bibles open and you are looking at what I say and you're comparing what I say to Scripture. And if my words are in alignment with Scripture, you know they're valid. If they, are not aligned, if they contradict Scripture, they are invalid. So, and, and one other thing, I'm not saying that miracles don't happen today. I'm saying that the verification doesn't happen. We, we pray all the time. We see miraculous healing. That happens all the time today. But they don't verify. If we pray for someone to be healed and they're not healed, that doesn't mean we're false teachers. See, there's a, a different function of it. But there is, a, I think, a way, another way that our witness is validated, really to those to whom we're witnessing. See, the miracles and the speaking of tongues in, in, in the Bible, that got people's attention. It got Nicodemus' attention. It brought him to see Jesus. And the power associated with the miracles gave a, a credibility to the message in the eyes of the unbelievers. Well, our message, our credibility in the eyes of unbelievers, not, not by displays of supernatural power, but it's by the display of our character. It's the it's display of a character that is changed by God. See, that is what gives us credibility in the eyes of unbelievers. See, as Christians, we show humility. We show boldness. We show compassion. We show righteousness. We show a genuine love for others, even those who are enemies. We show a care for their well-being. We show a desire to make God known, a desire for God to be glorified, for God to increase and for us to increase, or for us to decrease. We, 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 we have a, an ability to absorb, to absorb abuse without retaliation. We show concern for the poor, the marginalized, a desire to see justice, a willingness to show mercy. And we have this joy. We have a contagious joy, regardless of our outward circumstances. And when people see this, they say, I want that. It gets their attention. They know it's not normal. They know it's not natural, and it piques their interest. And it opens them up to hear the message. So this is the way, this is the way our message is validated. It's validated through our character. Now this promise and this command that Jesus gives in, in Acts 1.8 is given to the whole church. This is given to us. We are called to be his witnesses. We have received the promised power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of fulfilling Christ's command to be his witnesses in our community, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our to the ends of the earth. 
And he has given us his power to share with others. To, to share the witness of, of what God has done for us. So what does this look like? Basically, I'm going to put it all together. What is, what is our application for the sermon? Well, first and foremost, if, if, if you're not a believer, anyone here is not a believer, anyone listening on the live stream is not a believer, you don't have a witness. You don't have a witness to share because you don't have a relationship with Christ. So there's nothing for you to witness. Your only application of this sermon is to come to Christ. Your only application is to receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone as he is offered in the gospel and trust that your sins were punished in Christ and his perfect righteousness is given to you. This is your only hope of this sermon. But what about for the rest of us? What is, the, what, is the, what is the application for us if we are believers, if we belong to Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit? Well, here we have five applications, five brief applications. First, if you are a born-again believer, you have a witness. You have a relationship with Christ. You have a story about this relationship. Know this story. Know this story. You should, you should be thinking about what is my story? What has God done? You might even have to write it down. Be able to tell it in, in a minute. What has God done? Where have you seen God move in your life? And it's not a one-time thing. It's, not, it's something that happened to me 20 years ago, never heard from God again. How has he changed me? How is he continuing to change me? What is he con- teaching me? What is he teaching me in his word? Now, some of you, this may be scary. You may hear this and say, I don't know. I don't know how God has worked in my life. I don't know much scripture. I, I feel that I know God, but I don't feel like he's speaking. I don't feel like he's speaking clearly. Well, if this is your case, your application is really similar to what we looked at last week. Know him better. Know his word. Study his word. And that's why we have, we have morning and evening worship. Come in the morning. Come in the evening. Hear his word preached. Come to our Monday prayer meeting and our Monday theology class. Dig deeper into these, these concepts. Come to our Wednesday Bible study. Look at the Bible. Dig into it with brothers and sisters. Come to our prayer meetings. Pray together with people. Cultivate this relationship so we have something to share with others. That's our first application. Second application, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power. You have the very breath of God that imparts spiritual life to unbelievers. You have it in you. And he uses, notice, he uses our witness he uses our witness as the means to impart spiritual life. Trust in this power. Use this power. And here I'm, I'm going to get very specific. And here I'm going to give a challenge. Give a challenge to everyone who hear, everyone who can hear me, everyone who, who can hear my words. I want you to, to, this power. I want you to make a point to share this witness with at least one person this week. And I know it's frightening, but trust in God. Not yourself, trust in God. Trust that he will give you the words to speak. Trust that he is working through the, his Holy Spirit, and it's not you. And then, the, the, here's, here's the promise. Then prepare to be amazed. Be prepared to be amazed at how, how God uses us. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, there's no greater feeling. No greater feeling in the world than to be used by God as the means to impart spiritual life to another. So step out on faith. Step out on faith. Trust the Holy Spirit. And then prepare to be amazed. Prepare to be blown away. And I want, next week when we come in here, I want to hear the stories. I want to hear the stories about how God used you, how, God, how, how you are amazed at how God used you. So be prepared. That, that, that's, a, that's a challenge that I have. And if you're watching online, that's a challenge for you all online as well. So that's our second application. Our third application is three sub-points. And so if you're taking notes, there's three sub-points. And that is there are three ways the Holy Spirit will use this fire, this fire of your testimony. And the first way, the first way that he's going to use this is to illuminate others. So your testimony will bring light into the dark world. It'll make sense of what seemed senseless and pointless in this world. 
And it may be the first time. It may be the first time for people to have their eyes opened to God's reality and God's purpose for them. And it may go through you. So that's the first sub-point. The second thing that the Holy Spirit, how he uses fire, is it will bring warmth. It will bring warmth. See, people that you come in contact, they will feel the joy. They, a joy that they've, ne- they've never previously known. Uh, they'll sense a sense of love, a sense of peace, a sense of the Holy Spirit. And that's where it's coming from. They'll, they'll sense the Holy Spirit in you. And this warmth will be attractive. This warmth will motivate them to hear and to know more. But there's also a third, third for some that will hear your testimony. They will feel conviction. They will feel judgment. And they may react against you in anger. But know that it's not against you. No, ultimately it is against God. That's who, so don't take it personally. It's against God. It's against his truth. And what we're called to be is be like Jesus. We are to, to absorb this hate, absorb this anger, and not react in kind. And this is completely unnatural. Unnatural at all. We are to pray for these people. Pray that their anger will get their attention, will soften them up. Pray that, that, that they will lead them to repentance. And this repentance may take place years from now. You may not even know about it. You may talk to someone. They may be really angry and they're thinking about it. And they're, they're just doing that. And years later, it may come. I told a story. I, I had a person I shared the gospel with. And, and then, then I didn't see him for years. And he, five years later, he texted me or he sent me an email and said that he received the gospel. He, that, he, that he became a Christian five years later from something that I talked to him. I didn't know where he was. So you don't know what's going to happen. So, so pray that this is, that this is what's going to happen. But even if it doesn't, even if the person never comes to, to faith, know that God is still glorified in our witness. God is still glorified if we are faithful, and you can still take joy in this witness. It's not about what the reaction is. It's what God does for you. That's what we can take joy. So that's our third point. Fourth point, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to know how to speak. Pray for wisdom to speak not just intellectually, but to speak to the heart. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the words that will be heard for the, by this person. Say, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know what this person needs to hear. Give me the words that this person needs to hear. Pray for a supernatural ability to frame your words in a way that will be accepted by that person. That you're witnessing. Pray, pray that your message will be contextualized to their frame of reference. That's the fourth. The fifth application. Live a life of integrity. Live a life of righteousness. Live a life of holiness. Be bold in your witness, but be compassionate. Be loving to those who do not know Christ. Know that they're not the enemy. Know that they are our mission field. And live a life that shows that, that there is a supernatural transformation. Show that God is real in your life, that he has changed you, the gospel has changed you. And don't pretend. Don't put on masks. Don't be phony. People see right, right through this. Be real. Be authentic. Be changed. Be the person you claim to be. And this will be difficult. This will require holding our tongues, acting in a way that we don't want to act, forgoing our rights, absorbing unjust pain and hurt. But the witness of a holy character, that will speak volumes. That will speak volumes. It will give credibility to our words. So here's our charge. Here's our charge. Find one person this week. One person and be a witness to that person. Witness to what Christ has done. So practically, how do you do this? Where do I do this? What, What do I do? First thing you do is pray. Pray, pray for the Lord to bring that person to mind. Say, Lord, who do you want me to speak to this week? Pray for the Lord to give that person to your mind. And then pray for the Lord to give you an opportunity. An opportunity in the words that that person will hear. So you say, well, where did I start? Well, start wherever you are. Start wherever you are. Start at your work. Start with your neighbors. 
Start with the people you play tennis with. Start with the people at the dog shows. Start with the people at school. Uh, people that you're in a play with. Start with those people. People that you meet in the grocery store, wherever it is. Look, look for volunteer opportunities. And I talked about this different things uh, here, the Alzheimer's and, and the, uh, um, the Christmas child. Look for that. Look for the, uh, uh, tomorrow I'm going to the Salvation Army. I've got a, a board meeting. Look at various different volunteer opportunities to get out into the public, to get out to see people. And look for ways not only as individuals, look at ways as churches, a, a way that our church can, can serve the community. Always be on the lookout. Always be listening to the Holy Spirit, trusting that, that he will lead us, that he will use us. So this is our charge. Our charge is simple. Pray, serve, witness, and then prepare to be amazed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we have. And Lord, we pray that we will be amazed. We know it's not us. It's you. It's your Holy Spirit that's working. So Father, we pray that you will use us in a mighty and a powerful way and that you will be glorified. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.